Well, I want to say good morning again. Uh, I want to thank Chris and our worship team uh, for leading us today. I want to just take a second, as Chris kind of alluded to this, but today really is the culmination of a lot of prayer and a lot of conversation. Uh, and I just it just marks an important moment, I think, as we begin a new season for our church. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful that you, church, have trusted thankful for your trust that you've put in the elders and the ministry staff as we've tried to look to, to where we believe God is leading us. Uh, I know that none of us take that lightly, and so I want to thank you for that. And I've said it before, but I, I want to, it feels appropriate to say again today, I really believe that our best days are ahead. I believe in Christ our best days are always ahead. And so before we jump in uh, to our sermon, I, I want to, in addition to just to recognizing all the people who have made this season happen, we know that none of it happens without God, without God's faithfulness. And so I want to give thanks to God for God's love, for God's provision for our church, uh, for the leading of our church family. And so I want to give God a round of applause. So if you would join me in that. So I want to begin with a prayer before we, uh, before we jump into our sermon. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful today for the way that you anchor us in hard seasons, the way you provide for us uh, when we see it and when we don't. And today we recognize uh, the culmination of so much prayer and conversation that's happened, our student ministry team uh, meeting with various youth ministry candidates over Zoom and uh, meeting Andrew and for the first time and then he and Bailey coming to visit and having to do all of that in the middle of COVID and interview for a job and figure out when they're going to move. And in the midst of all of that season, they've had multiple things happen in their own lives uh, and their family. And and we just, we just continue to see your hand at work in the midst of all of that. And we're so thankful that they are here and that this new season is beginning. Uh, And we give it all to you, back to you in thanks and in praise for how good and faithful you have been to us. And as Mike said a minute ago, God, we, we just, uh, we believe uh, that you are at work, and we see that, and we're so humbled and thankful for that, for your goodness and faithfulness to us. And we pray that we'll be good stewards of all that you've done in us and through us, and that uh, we'll continue to be mindful of the places where you are at work so we can see you. We pray now, God, as we open your word and talk about that, actually, that very thing, seeing you in the world that you'll give us eyes to see and ears to hear all that you want us to see and hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we continue in week two of our Finding Jesus in Exodus sermon series that Stuart McGregor kicked off for us last Sunday, and I want to publicly thank him again for doing that. Exodus 3 is where we're going to be here in just a moment. I want to acknowledge as we begin, some might say, as you see the title of this sermon series, you might say, Jesus you know, in Exodus, I'm not really sure about that. I'm not finding the connections. Can we really find Jesus in the Exodus story? And the answer, of course, is yes. And I want to do a little bit of background about that because as before we jump into Exodus chapter three, because Jesus is actually the one that teaches us that we can find him in the Exodus story. There's a story that shows up in Luke four uh, that teaches where Jesus teaches us to read the Bible this way, waiting for all scripture. Look in uh, 
right, let's, let's read from Luke 24, verses 17 through 27. This is what it says. This, this by the way, is right after Jesus has been raised from the dead. Just so, and I'm going I'm to read a little bit longer section of Scripture here to give us some context about what's going on. Jesus, Luke says this, As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. So Jesus is walking along the road. There's some other people there. They don't see him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Like he doesn't know. They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things? Jesus continues to play dumb. And and he says, what things? About Jesus of Nazareth, Cleopas says. He was a prophet, powerful in word and in deed before God and and, and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since this all took place. And in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. And Jesus said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then notice this. He says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus explained to them in all the scriptures what was concerned, that they pointed to him, how they were concerned about him. And their eyes were open in this moment, and they got it. They began to understand and began to see what was going on. Jesus says that all Scripture ultimately points to him. And if you think about it, think about what you know about Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, the Gospels. If you think about them as sort of the center of gravity, the, the thing that everything before Jesus is talking about and everything after Jesus is talking about, the Gospels are kind of the anchor of Scripture. Luke said that Jesus started with Moses, and so we're going to do that too. And we find Moses' story in the Old Testament book of Exodus. Exodus is the the second book of the Bible, and we're going to read the beginning of Moses' story in Exodus chapter 3. I'm going to invite you to find your Bibles. You can turn there. It will also be up here on the screen. We're going to read several verses here from Exodus chapter 3. This is what it says. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. You can stay there just a second. We're picking up in chapter 3, and so we miss a little bit of the story, some maybe important background Moses is tending his father-in-law's sheep, but that's not how it started for Moses. The 32nd version of Moses' backstory, just as a reminder for all of us, how he got to this point where he would be tending his father-in-law's sheep in the wilderness. He was an Israelite, but he was living as an Egyptian. The nation of Israel had been living in Egypt for 400 years, and the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, was growing concerned. Well, the, the, the nation of Israel had not been living in, the, in the Egypt for 400 years at this point. Early on, though, they, had, they began to see that, it, Pharaoh began to see that these Israelite people, they continue to multiply. They keep growing. 
And if they get too big, Pharaoh said, then they're going to be able to go to other countries, other nations, and come and fight with them against us. So we have to do something to fix this problem. And so Pharaoh, being the tyrannical ruler that he is, orders that all these baby boys, Israelite baby boys, be killed. Because if there are no baby boys, we're not going to get into reproduction right here and now, but you get the idea, right? If there are no baby boys, then eventually there are no baby Israelites. And so Moses grows up, and one day he's walking out in the city, and he sees an Egyptian treating one of his own people badly. And so he steps in, and he reacts in anger, and he kills this Egyptian, which causes a problem. So he runs away in fear for his own life because he's killed an Egyptian. He's done something terrible, and Pharaoh hears about it, and he's not happy. And so Moses runs away in fear, and he ends up here in Midian. And by the point we pick up in Exodus chapter 3, he's married now. He's a little bit older, and he's out tending some sheep. And I, I actually think that it's important to slow down at this point because I think that before we read anything else, it's important to recognize that Moses, I believe, quite possibly thinks this is the end of his story. Like this is where his, this is, this is his life. He used to live as a prince in Egypt, and now he's a shepherd in the wilderness of Midian. What would anybody want with a former Egyptian son, a murderer, a runaway, a shepherd? And one day while he's out doing his job, out with this flock in the wilderness, he leads them to Horeb, which is also Mount Sinai. It's got two names. And there the strangest thing happens. Let's keep reading. Let's see if this, I think this is working now. There the angel of the Lord met, appeared to Moses in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. I want you just to imagine this moment. Moses had probably seen some pretty strange things in his lifetime. He'd grown up in an Egyptian palace. But now, through a series of choices in his own life, he ends up here in this Midian desert. And on this day, while he's out watching these sheep, he sees a bush that's on fire. And I think that part is not all that unusual. A bush in the dry Sinai desert Probably bushes caught on fire all the time. But the closer you get, you notice something different about this bush. It's on fire, but it's not burning. And so he steps another step closer. And another strange thing happens. The bush speaks. And it doesn't just say something like, hello. This bush calls Moses by name. Moses. Moses. And it, it's important to mention here that Moses is a central figure to the entire Old Testament, maybe the most central figure of the entire Old Testament. There is maybe no person that's larger than Moses and more significant in the story of Israel than Moses. Genesis, the first book of the Bible, tells the story of lots of different people. But Exodus really tells the story about God working through one person primarily, and that's Moses. And at this point in the story, Moses knows that he doesn't know yet, but he will later go before Pharaoh and he'll speak for God. He would eventually deliver Israel out of Egypt. 
He would eventually give the law, the Ten Commandments, to the people. He would speak with God face to face. <clears throat> but at the end of his life, he had an impressive resume. But at this point in the story, none of that is true of Moses. Right here, when he's speaking to this voice from within the bush, Moses is none of those things. He's not someone who goes to speak to Pharaoh. He's not someone who's delivered Israel from anything. He will not speak with God face to face. He hasn't given the people the law. He went from the elite of society, living in an Egyptian palace, and now he's a shepherd working for his father-in-law out in the country, watching sheep that aren't even his sheep. He's hit the bottom, and all of that is about to change right here. Moses doesn't know it yet, but all of that is being stripped away. I believe all of that Egyptian history is being stripped away. God has come to meet Moses in the wilderness, and Moses sees this bush, and he thinks, well, that's odd. It's a bush. There's flames, but it isn't burning up. I wonder what's going on here like anybody might do, right? They go step a little step closer. And as soon as he turns, God speaks to Moses and calls him by name. And, and this moment would probably undo a lot of us. I, I know for me, I mean, just the sight of a bush that's burning, that's not burning up, would be odd enough that I might be hesitant to go even check it out. But Moses steps closer. He's seen a lot. He's lived through a lot. And he responds, here I am. And then God says this. He says, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals. For the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hears this voice coming from within the bush, and he keeps walking toward it. And so the, the voice says, don't come any closer. Stop where you are and take off your sandal. This place is different. It's holy ground, not one more step. I am the God of your father. He references Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I've seen the suffering, he would go on to tell Moses, of your people as slaves in Egypt. And I have a plan to do something about it. And Moses learns that he's a part of that plan. Moses will be used to deliver the people. And initially he hesitates. He says, who am I that you would pick me? And then he says, and who are you again, by the way? And what do I say to Israel when I go and tell them? But forget about Pharaoh for just a second and what I have to say to him. When I go and say to Israel that I'm sent by you, what am I supposed to say to them? And this is what it says. Moses said, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, well, what's his name? Like a test, right? How do we know that the God of our fathers sent you to us? Then what shall I tell him, Moses says. And God said to Moses, this is what you're to tell him. I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I believe that this moment there at the burning bush in the middle of the Sinai wilderness is the rebirth of Moses. His life was going one way and this moment from this moment forward, it will go in a different direction. And this rebirth happens because Moses discovers who it is that is in that flame in the bush. I am who I am. This is where we find Jesus in the story of the burning bush. I believe that Moses met Jesus that day. And we know this because of how 
The introduction unfolds. I am who I am. Years later, when Jesus will come to earth, many different times Jesus will refer to himself as I am. Maybe the most important of all of these times is in John chapter 8 when Jesus says these words. He says, very truly I, I, say, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, the people there picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Now, the Jews didn't pick up stones in this moment because they misunderstood what Jesus was saying. No, they understood completely what Jesus was saying. They would have known when Jesus said this and they go to pick up a stone, they knew what they were doing. They knew that he was referencing back to the moment we just read about in Exodus chapter 3, that Jesus was claiming to be the one who spoke to Moses from the burning bush, I am who I am. And, and the reason I, I believe that this connection is true is that if Jesus was only intending to say that he existed before Moses, he might have said something like, I was. Jesus was, was being intentional with his words. He was claiming to be Yahweh, claiming to be God. And they knew it. And it made them so furious that they wanted to kill him. Because in a Jewish, Jew's mind, no one gets to claim to be God and live. Some people have pointed out that Moses' life happens in three different stages. There's the first stage where he's the son of Pharaoh growing up in an Egyptian palace. There's the second phase where he's Jethro's son-in-law and he's out tending sheep. And then there's this third stage where he meets God and he leads Israel out of Egypt. And I think it is important to notice these three stages because his, it means that his story doesn't end as the prince of Egypt living in Pharaoh's palace. His story doesn't end as a murderer and a fugitive on the run. His story doesn't end even as a shepherd tending his father-in-law's sheep. His story isn't these things. And that's why this third phase is so important, this moment when he meets God, because when he meets God that day, when he's talking to the voice from the bush, he is reborn in the wilderness, and he met Jesus. But in order for him to be reborn, for, for Moses to get to the place where God wanted him to get, all the Egyptian exterior had to be stripped away, had to be removed. All that had to be removed so that God could do the work on Moses' interior and his heart. Because what I know is about you and me and Moses and Israel is that Egypt does something to people. It did something to Israel, it did something to Moses, and it still does this to you and me. We all have our own Egypts. Egypt is a place where we become enslaved to something. Egypt is a place where we forget who we are, where we forget our identity, where we forget our story. And the reason that we know this is because of how Israel ended up in and remained in Egypt. You remember how they got to Egypt in the first place? Like Egypt started off, if you read the end of Genesis, as a safe place for Israel to escape a famine that was going on around the entire known world at the time. God sends Joseph to Egypt to provide, and then eventually all of 
Israel comes there. And then they continue to multiply until they're this nation of people. Right? When, you, when you fast, that, that's how it started. When you fast forward, now they're just slaves in Egypt, and they've forgotten their identity. They've forgotten their story as God's people, and they think that they're destined for slavery. Future, making bricks for Pharaoh for the rest of our life. Because this is what Egypt does to people. It makes us forget our first love, our roots. Israel had been enslaved for 400 years. And after that long, think about it, generation after generation after generation, you just begin to think this is what we do. My great-great-great-grandparents were slaves. I must be one too, right? After that long, they thought they were born to make bricks for Pharaoh. They had forgotten who they were, that they were God's people. And Moses had forgotten that he was a part of that story too. And so God sends him on this wild journey through the palace of Pharaoh out into the wilderness where he can finally strip all that away and get to Moses' heart, what he's really after. And so Jesus calls Moses by name, and then he'll later call Israel by name, and he reminds them both of who they are. They were made to bear the image of God. They were made to be God's people. And now he calls us by name. We have Egypts. We all have places in our life where we get stuck. Cycles that we're having a hard time breaking. Patterns that keep repeating in our lives or in the lives of our family. Struggles that we can't seem to shake or get rid of. Doubts that linger in your mind. Questions that you can't seem to find answers for. We all go through seasons of loss and pain and heartache. These are our Egypts and we all have them. We don't have to live there forever. Whatever your story is now, now is not the end of the story, and that's the good news. This moment where Jesus meets Moses at the burning bush is our story too. And while we may not experience Jesus in a burning bush that doesn't burn up, we still experience him. And I would suggest that instead of a burning bush, Jesus now shows up everywhere we look if we have eyes to see it. The whole earth is filled with the glory of God. And that the bush was a foretaste of what God really intended to do. And I believe that because of what John says in the, the first chapter of his gospel, when John had seen Jesus with his own eyes, this is what he wrote. He said, the word, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We, John says, me and all the people who were here, have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus appears to Moses from the flames within a bush, and now he has moved into our world, moved into our neighborhood, moved into our county, moved into our homes, into our lives. The glory of Jesus is now everywhere you look if you have eyes to see it. I love the way that English poet Elizabeth, Elizabeth Barrett Browning says this same thing in a very poetic way. 
she says this. She says, earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God. But only those that take off, that see, take off their shoes. The rest just sit around and pluck blackberries. I don't really know what she means by the blackberry part, but the rest of the part I really like. Right? I think what she's saying is that if we have eyes to see it, Jesus that filled that burning bush in the Sinai wilderness can be seen everywhere that we look. And what makes the burning bush the burning bush is that Jesus inhabited the bush. And he met Moses there. And Moses woke up. His eyes were opened. And that's what this moment is about. That there are burning bushes everywhere in creation in the still moments when we're alone with God, in the moments when our spirit speaks truth to our hearts. There are moments where God uses people around us to be a burning bush and to speak truth into our lives. But we have to slow down long enough to see them, to slow down long enough to catch them by. We do all have Egypts, seasons of struggle, where we're refused to have the Egypt constriction. Right? We all have these moments where we feel squeezed to the moments when we lose our inner story, we're out of how do we begin to sense the lies of the enemy. Moments when we believe the lies of the enemy, we have questions about our faith and about our sins. We don't know what God's doing. Has seemed hide his face? As we sang about a minute ago, you can hear the enemy, I think, say to you, I know seasons. He's like, I don't really love you. God's forgotten you. God's going to leave you here in Egypt forever. Your destiny is to be a slave making bricks for Pharaoh for the rest of your life. That's what they would for us to hear. Here's know this with the burning bush. Egypt is not the end of our story. It was not the end of Moses' story, and Christ is not the end of your story either. For Moses, actually, it all begins at the burning bush. That's where he met Christ and his life was changed forever. That's where he remembers who he is. Not a prince of Egypt, not Jethro's son-in-law, but a man of God, created in the image of God, a man that would be used by God to deliver God's people. And it all starts with this burning bush. And this morning, I want to suggest that it starts in the exact same place for you and for me. But here's the most amazing part. Because of Christ, you and I can become a burning bush. A flame, the Spirit of God, a flame in us. We're, we're on fire, but we're not burning up because the Spirit has come down to live inside of you and me. Isn't that what we want to be? Go and chill the fact that you're actually God, you're burning someone deciding, well, what is this strange sight? I need to go see it for myself. Here's a person that is on fire, but they aren't burned out or they're not burned up. They have a steady glow about them. And my prayer for us today is this, that it will be so with us, that we will remember that Jesus meets us in our own Egypt's that he calls us out of those places and strips away those things that are not what he wants us to be known for and to be a part of our story. He reminds us of who we are. We're God's son. We're God's daughter. Egypt is not the end of our story. And that Jesus' vision for us is that we will become the burning bush that we first see in Exodus chapter 3, filled with the presence of God but not burning up aware of the presence of God and awake to what he wants to do in us and in the world around us. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that you'll give us eyes to see uh, 
the ways in which you are alive and at work in this world around us. That you'll remind us through this story in Exodus chapter 3 of who we are, of our identity, of our roots. You'll call us back to our first love. This morning I recognize and know, God, that there are many of us who feel as though we are living in an Egypt season. And we're wondering when and where you'll show up. And we pray that you'll give us eyes to see the ways that you're at work. You'll give us hearts to be able to receive and know how you're at work. I pray this morning that anyone here who has forgotten who they are, forgotten that they're your son or daughter, that you'll call them back to you today. That just as you called Moses on that day, you recognized him and called him by name, that you also will call us again today. That you'll help us to see. Help us to become this burning bush in the world around us that is aflame but is not burning up. To become people who are carriers of this message of Christ, carriers of the spirit of Christ into the world around us. And that we'll live in such a way that it will be noticeable to people around us as we live. We pray for your help in this effort. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to sing a song now just to provide a time to pray and to respond to the Lord. Uh, If you have a way that you want to do that publicly, I'll be down here. If you want to pray with someone around you, please do that. Let's stand together as we sing this next.